Hey guys, welcome back to Drawing It Up. Now, before I get started today, I just want to address what I'm going to be doing with the podcast moving forward. As we have new episodes come in, you're going to see a lot less reactionary pods, stuff that's addressing what's happening in the NBA today. I feel like that's kind of newsy, and you can get that on ESPN and with a million other podcasts. So what you're going to see here is a lot more what I call essay-type subjects in the NBA. So trends, topics that are either diving into NBA history or current trends in the league and how front offices operate. I've gotten some feedback that some of my listeners like that kind of style a lot better. And it's a kind of podcast where you can listen to it tomorrow or you can listen to it in three years and it'll still be relevant. So without further ado, welcome back to Drawing It Up. Welcome to Drawing It Up, presented by Ball Things Considered. I'm your host, Nick Demento, and I want to thank everyone for tuning in today. Whether your life's being disrupted by an ice storm, the coronavirus, or just the normal bullshit that happens in life, at least we can just sit down and talk about basketball. Now, in today's NBA, you can say that there's been a lot of changes over the last decade or so that have very much impacted how the game's played and what the game looks like. There's been an increase in emphasis on the three-pointer, an increase in emphasis on scoring. The face of defense has changed drastically. But the trend that I want to take a look at today is something that's only become apparent over the past three or four years, and it's that the league is getting younger. And what I mean by that is that we're seeing an increase in young players, rookie players, sophomores, guys on their rookie contracts, they're not only getting good very quickly, they're becoming great. They are becoming superstars on an almost unprecedented level. So if you have any doubts about whether or not this is actually the case, I pulled up a couple of stats and a couple of facts that I find very interesting. First off, going to this 2021 season, we had Luka Doncic, a 21-year-old player in the third year of his career, as the favorite for MVP. That makes him the youngest NBA player ever to go into the season as the odds-on favorite to win the MVP. Next, I want to look at the 2020 All-Star Game. And when we look at the All-Star Game, we see a huge increase in the presence of younger players. In 2020, we had two players who were only in their second seasons in the NBA be named All-Star Starters. And we had three all-star starters that were still on their rookie deals. And in last year's all-star game in its entirety, there were eight players still on their rookie deals. So out of the 24 spots that there are for all-stars in a given season, a third of them were taken by players that hadn't played even four years in the NBA yet. Now you might say, well, there's always you know great young players. But when we take a look at some of the league's established older stars, 
We see that it's very rare for guys to be named to such a high level so quickly. So let's be reminded about that stat that Luka Doncic and Trey Young in their second seasons were named as starters for the All-Star team. In comparison with more established players, Kevin Durant didn't make an All-Star game until his third season in the league. James Harden and Giannis Antetokounmpo didn't make an All-Star game until their fourth year in the league. And Steph Curry, two-time MVP, and Kawhi Leonard, a multiple-time NBA champion, didn't make an All-Star game until their fifth season in the NBA. All comparisons aside to what you may think about Luka and Trey versus all these players, it needs to be recognized the accomplishment these guys have had by simply being named as All-Star starters. Because have any issues with the All-Star game that you want. What it is is a recognition by the fans, the media, and their peers that these guys are among some of the best players in their conference and some of the best players in the entire NBA. And the fact that so many players that haven't even played half a decade in the NBA are making up a third of that list is a trend that needs to be recognized and analyzed. So what I'm going to do today is I'm going to talk about what exactly is happening, what form does this rookie phenomenon, this young player trend, what does it actually look like, and what are the key factors we see. Then I'm going to talk about why this trend is happening. And lastly, I'll look at what are some of the lessons we can take away from the growing and obvious presence of these great young stars charging their way into the league. So first, let's define this trend. What exactly is happening here? And the first aspect of this trend is that franchises are focusing on young players and helping them develop not only into good players quickly, but into franchise leaders and superstar caliber players within their first couple seasons in the league. Pull up on your phone or whatever computer or tablet, whatever you got, just pull up a list of the NBA teams. If you know the league well enough, if you know the players, you can look at most of the names of the league and identify that every single team in the NBA, at this point, almost everybody has at least one guy, one franchise leader that basically the hopes and dreams of the franchise are dependent upon. Every single one of those players that comes to mind are these kind of star caliber players. And most teams in the league have at least one of these guys, if not two. And while some teams, these stars are established veterans, like the Lakers having LeBron James, Anthony Davis, or the Clippers having Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, on some teams, these guys are guys still on the rookie deals or that have just signed extensions. Let's look at the Celtics, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, the Memphis Grizzlies, Ja Morant and Jaron Jackson Jr., the Dallas Mavericks with Luka Doncic and Kristaps Porzingis. These are all players either 25 and under, maybe 26 and under, that are already established their presence as leaders of their team and star players in this league. We see examples of this in the stories of guys like Luka Doncic, who is second year in the league, had a huge coming out party against the Clippers last year in the playoffs. 
with one of the most memorable shots in Game 4 that I had ever seen in my life. We saw it in 2018 when Jason Tatum was just a rookie, when Kyrie Irving and Gordon Hayward are injured and sitting on the bench, when he leads his team to a Game 7 of the Western Conference Finals as a rookie, as a star player in this league. We're seeing this happen right now with rookies right before our eyes. Specifically, we're seeing it this season with LaMelo Ball, who over his last 10 games, once he finally broke into the starting lineup, is already averaging 20 points a game, 7 assists, and 6 rebounds, while shooting over 43% from 3 and 46% from the field. And while it's certainly normal that young players become good quickly, guys becoming this good in their first or second season, that kind of level of improvement, that level of achievement, is normally reserved to players like LeBron, like Jordan. Hell, you can look back on many established greats, guys such as like Dirk Nowitzki, Steve Nash, Kobe Bryant, that weren't even starters when they first got into the league. On their own team, let alone becoming an all-star starter in their second season. And this isn't happening with just one or two guys. There's a handful of these guys every single year that pop off the page and make a name for themselves in the NBA. Now, there is a second crucial aspect to this trend that's just as important to recognize. Because not only are we seeing an increase in star, superstar young players in the NBA, we're seeing an increase in usage of high-caliber winning teams taking rookies, sophomores, guys on their rookie contracts, and these guys becoming established on rosters as key role players on winning teams. Guys that are expected to play, even though they're early and young in their careers, they're expected to play high-value minutes in big-time games. Best example of this is Tyler Hero last year, who averaged over 30 minutes per game in the playoffs as a rookie. And this year, we're seeing it across the league. The Heat are already using Precious Achua as a high-impact role player off the bench. The Celtics are using Peyton Pritchard as a high-value guy off their bench. And in particular, one example I want to highlight is that the Memphis Grizzlies, after drafting Desmond Bain and Xavier Tillman, have already given these two guys in their rookie seasons a tremendous amount more of opportunity than what's normally given to rookies that are drafted in the middle to the end of the first round or even the second round. When we look at Desmond Bain and Xavier Tillman, and with the exception of Jaron Jackson Jr. and John Morant, those guys were guys that were drafted in the top four, so different rules apply to them. They don't really fall into this role player category. But when we take Desmond Bain and Xavier Tillman, we see that they're already averaging more minutes per game than any other Grizzlies rookie drafted since 2010. And furthermore, with only about 30 to 40% of the season even being played, and even with these two players not even playing every single game, Desmond Bain and Xavier Tillman have already played more total minutes than any Grizzlies first-round draft pick in their rookie seasons since 2011. So just like the star players, we're seeing that these young guys are getting a role on the team whether it's star or off the bench, and they're getting more opportunity 
to fulfill that role. And they're getting it way faster than what's normally expected of guys that are drafted towards the middle or the later end of the draft. So moving on, why is this happening? Why are we seeing so many young players become established in the NBA way faster than what we normally expect? And first, we're going to focus on these star young players, the guys like Luka Doncic, Trey Young, Job Morant, Zion Williamson, etc. And the rationale behind this is that front offices, from the moment they draft these kids, their plans revolve around that player. They revolve around that player developing into that franchise guy, developing into the guy that, according to the front office and what the team hopes, a guy that can lead them to a championship. When these guys are drafted, most of the time, these are kids drafted at the very top of the NBA draft. What does that normally mean? These were teams in the lottery. So they were teams that weren't already winning in the first place. But when the front office has the chance to draft this kind of talent, a talent like Luka Doncic or Ja Morant, the entire organization becomes committed to one thing. How can we maximize this player? And what can we do to help further his development? And simply put, during this period, after you've drafted a player like that, winning takes a back seat. The most important thing for a franchise at that point is player development, is developing this kid into a superstar. Because if you follow the league, we all know one thing. This is a league driven by its stars. If you want to win a title, you have to have a guy like LeBron. You have to have a guy like Kawhi Leonard or Steph Curry or even Jimmy Butler. You need a guy like that to just compete. And especially for small market teams, you can't really hope to go get these guys on the open market. You got to draft these guys and develop them. Additionally, if I'm in that front office and I draft a guy number one, number two, number three, my job depends on this guy getting good. If this kid doesn't pan out, that's my job. My ass is out of here. That is a damning mistake if you can draft a guy in the top three and not be able to develop him into a high caliber player. When you draft a guy that high, that is what the fans expect. That is what the city expects. And most importantly, that's what your fucking owner expects. So for all of these guys, there's no longer this period where they have to prove themselves. And if you're not sure what I mean by that, I want you to think about if you participated in any kind of high school athletics, all right? There was a lot of instances in high school sports, at least in my experience, where there may have been a better player at a certain position or in some kind of game that was the younger guy. Maybe the freshman is the best player at quarterback. But normally the way it worked on those teams is that the freshman didn't get to start just because he was the best one. We had to give some credit to the seniors that had been on the team for four years, paid their dues. And normally it was those guys' job to lose. They had to play badly to get pulled so that freshman with the superior talent could have the chance to shine. For many players in the league, when they got drafted, no matter where they were drafted or, or any amount of hype coming along with them, 
they still had to pay their dues to crack into the lineup. That's not happening anymore. Now, teams are taking the position that you proved yourself with everything that you did beforehand. Everything that you did that made us want to draft you, that was you proving yourself. So we're going to give you this spot in the lineup. If we think you're a star player, you're going to be our starting point guard. If we think you can be an established role player, you're going to get those minutes off the bench. Don't get me wrong, these guys can't just slack off and, you know, just sleep around all day and still expect to get minutes. But the front office and the organization is way more inclined than we've previously seen to give guys opportunities early. And what we're seeing is a lot of reward for taking that bet on these young guys. We're seeing young guys take these opportunities and flourish with it. Because this all comes down to what, if you've listened to this podcast before, it's very much a recurring theme. And it's something that I believe is a main theme that when you watch the NBA, or when you look at how front offices operate in any sport, it's a very much a true statement. The best front offices and the best run organizations are those that make every move according to a master plan. So when you draft a star player, your master plan becomes that this guy is going to be our future. This is our leader. This is the guy that can lead us to a championship. Now to move on to my second point about this. The reason these guys are getting good so fast isn't just that front offices are giving them the opportunity to be good. There's certainly been many guys drafted in the first round that have been given plenty of opportunity by teams and have failed to take that opportunity and do the most with it. But my second point is that because of the current state of the game, it allows front offices to be more confident that if we give these guys this opportunity, they will be able to flourish. They will be able to develop and improve upon their game and become this superstar player that we're hoping they can be. So what aspect of the game has changed to allow these guys to be able to do this? And what it really comes down to is the decrease in physicality of the game. Over the past decade or so, the NBA has cracked down on defense. No more hand checking, no more hard fouls, nothing like that. It's allowed the game to become a lot more free-flowing, a lot more fast, a lot more scoring. And whether or not you like it, that is the state of the game today. How does this help young players? Well, let's look at your average young player. You know, they're normally very fast. They have a lot of energy. They can run forever. They're normally not physically built. Let's take Kevin Durant, for example, a guy that when he entered the NBA draft, wasn't able to bench 135 one time. And if you're not familiar with weightlifting and all that, just know that there's a lot of freshmen in high school that can bench 135 multiple times. And the point here is that where these guys are normally lacking is physicality. They may be great shooters, they may be great scorers, maybe great playmakers, but their bodies haven't developed to a true adult that can, you know, brush it up with the older guys in the league. And the way the league used to operate is that when these hotshot rookies would come into a game thinking that they're going to be able to take control of the floor, some veteran on the opposing team, some guy that was at this point a fucking man, would come up, slam you to the ground when you went for a layup, and say, welcome to the fucking NBA, rookie. Simply put, older guys were able to use their physicality 
to negate all the advantages that a younger player has and not really allow those rookies, those young players to take advantage of the skills that they already had because they have to have an adjustment period to the roughness of the league, to the speed of the game. And that's not really the case anymore. Last season, Luka Doncic actually explained how he thought it was harder to score in the EuroLeague than it was in the NBA. Now, while I'm not familiar with the ins and outs of the rule book for EuroLeague basketball, he's probably right. There probably is a little bit more physicality to the game that makes it tougher to score. It was tougher to score in the NBA 20 years ago when the bad boy Pistons were going to freaking tackle you if you went to the rim. Now that we have this free-flowing game, young guys don't have to worry about that. And this is providing the opportunity for these great players to use the skills that they already brought into the league and to be able to use that to develop into these superstar players. So let me paint this picture for you. When these rookies are drafted, they normally already have one kind of skill that makes them elite. The guy, the reason that they were drafted, you know, number one, number three overall. Say Trey Young, it's obviously his elite scoring. John Morant, his playmaking. Because of the decrease in physicality, a guy like Trey Young is able to use his shooting more effectively. He's able to do it more. And because they're able to use those skills more, defenses have to adjust because these guys are already going to be able to kill you with that particular skill. And when defenses hone in on one certain aspect of your game, they essentially leave open a different part of your game. So if they think you're a great finisher at the rim, teams are going to leave you open at the three-point line. So this provides an opportunity for development in those weaker skills. And this is allowing guys who are already able to use their elite skills, because even if you do account for that defense, sometimes there's just nothing you can freaking do. These guys are so good at what they do. They're still going to be able to play, make, shoot at an elite level, whatever. But those other opportunities when defenses have to adjust is giving them opportunities to improve upon their weaknesses. And slowly they're becoming well-rounded superstars, guys that are kind of jack of all trades. And this is the kind of quality that we see in the best of the best in this league. Guys that, for lack of a better term, have every shot in their bag. If you follow golf, that means that you are the guy that can hit driver, you can putt, you can hit like the weird flop shot, whatever. So we're seeing the same thing happen in basketball is that these guys are having the chance to not only do what they do well, but to improve upon those other aspects of their game and essentially building up their weapons chest so that if you account for one thing, I'm going to hit you with another. And this is the kind of thing that is making them superstars very, very quickly. Now, I want to pivot back to our discussion on role players and why we're seeing an increase in these guys in particular. Now, like we talked about before, there's this master plan with a franchise and it's Well, while it should always be about winning a championship, normally it's about how do we complement our best player, our LeBron James, our John Morant, our Luka Doncic. Now, towards the end of the first round, second round, teams are starting to draft more and more guys for a particular skill set. 
So that may be three-point shooting, rebounding, defense, etc. It's some kind of skill that complements the guy that we've singled out as our franchise guy. So for Ja Morant on the Grizzlies, if he's your franchise guy, he's a great playmaker. So what we want to put alongside great playmakers who are athletic and can really finish at the rim, we want to surround him with great shooters. So that's why you draft a guy like Desmond Bain, a guy that in his rookie season is already leading the NBA in three-point percentage. And since we're drafting them for this particular skill, that we know that while they probably don't have as complete of a game as a guy like John Morant that we're drafting number two overall, we're still confident putting them on the floor because they have a simplified role. We're not expecting them to do everything. We're expecting them to do one thing well. But as we give these guys more opportunity, they, just like the star players, are going to be able to develop the other aspects of their game and become more well-rounded players. Moving on from a development point, if we take a look just from a front office perspective, drafting a guy and giving him a role off the bench immediately makes a ton of sense. For role players in the NBA, we're not expecting a ton. These normally aren't the guys that are the difference between winning and losing. We expect them to go out, hit a couple shots, play about 20 minutes, whatever. So I want you to ask yourself, what's the difference between a guy like Jay Crowder, a 30-year-old who's played multiple seasons in the NBA, who averages about 10 points a game on 27 minutes played, versus a rookie in Desmond Bain, who's also averaging about 10 points per game on 23 minutes played? The answer is that Jay Crowder is getting paid almost 10 million to put up those numbers. While Desmond Bain, on a rookie contract, is getting paid about $2 million. So by putting more emphasis on rookie players and giving them roles immediately, we're actually providing the team with a lot more cap flexibility. Because if we don't have to pay for these guys on the open market, if we can just draft them, we're saving ourselves a ton of money that we can spend on giving our star player a max contract or... Maybe in the middle of the season, we trade for a guy that if we didn't have that cap space, we wouldn't be able to get. So it provides the front office with more options because they have more flexibility. And you're simply getting more value per dollar by drafting a guy like Desmond Bain than you do by paying a guy like Jay Crowder. Now, I want to point out that the trade-off here, the reason why you would pay a guy like Jay Crowder is because this is an established veteran in the league, it's more of a guarantee that this guy is going to be able to give you this amount of production versus a guy you just drafted and you don't know what he's going to look like in the league. So it's certainly a bet. But because of everything I mentioned before about how the game has changed, when a guy has a simplified role and he already has one elite skill, the odds of that bet that this rookie is going to be able to serve the role that we've given him is much greater than it was 10 or 20 years ago. Furthermore, the reason we want to draft these role players, especially on younger teams, is that when we're not only drafting our stars, but the guys, you know, way deep down on the bench, it's giving us the opportunity to build a team for the future because of a little salary cap thing we call bird rights. 
And what bird rights are is that when a team has had a player for multiple years, so when they're at the end of their rookie contracts or they've been there for a certain amount of seasons, you're able to re-sign that player and go over the salary cap. So say a team's total payroll comes about to $105 million when the salary cap is $109 million. So you have about $4 million in space. Well, you can't sign Jay Crowder off the open market because his value is at $10 million, and that would put us over the salary cap. But if we've drafted a guy like Desmond Bain, who we drafted him a couple years ago, he's at the end of his rookie contract, and his market value is the same as Jay Crowder at around $10 million, we can re-sign him because we have bird rights on him. We go over the cap to re-sign him. So this not only allows us to keep this one individual player, this allows us to build a camaraderie among our team, to have chemistry among teammates for multiple years. That's the kind of thing that wins a championship, is when players know each other so well that they know how to play off one another. And when we can have this built up over years, that's when you start to see tremendous results. So for younger teams like the Memphis Grizzlies, you may want to fill up your entire roster with these kind of guys because you're more planning for the future. Your emphasis is on development, not win now. While teams that do need to win a title this year, say the Lakers, they may be more inclined to get somebody like Wesley Matthews in free agency. A guy that can serve a similar role as a rookie player or a guy on a rookie deal, but that more sure thing that we can count on this season and not be looking towards the future. So that's my explanation of why I think we're seeing this increase in young players in the league and their prominence and presence on not only, you know, the rosters of the worst teams in the NBA that always have high draft picks, but established roles on teams that are contending for a title. So to sum this up, what's the overall impact of this? First off, like I said before, you look around the NBA and almost every team has their guy. They have the guy that they're planning around. And to be honest, if you look at a team and you can't identify who the guy is, you're probably looking at a team with a very bad record. Because that means that that team is operating without a plan, without any clear path forward to go from their current state to a winning team. Secondly, this means that a lot of teams are on a timeline. Now let me explain this. When you draft a guy that's a star caliber player, it's almost understood that you normally have these players for about eight years. This is because the way the NBA CBA works, a guy coming off his rookie deal is going to be able to sign with the team that drafted him for almost $10 million more per year than if he left his current team and went somewhere else. So this encourages guys to stay with the teams that drafted him. But after that first rookie extension, there's not as big of a difference between if I stay with my current team versus going elsewhere. And this is when all the media gets hyped up about, is this player going to go? This is what happens to a guy like Anthony Davis, where at the end of his rookie extension, he's not satisfied with the team, so he asks for a trade. So we're about to see, since every single team has one of these star players, 
We're about to see a lot of teams that are on this timeline that are forced to make moves according to that master plan. Because if that star player that they've chosen bolts, the entire thing that they've worked for the past couple of years completely falls apart. Next, another point I want to make is that we're about to see a lot of teams lose a ton of cap space. Last summer alone, we had five guys on different teams sign rookie designated deals, basically max extensions for rookies. And that's going to continue to be the case. This summer, we'll probably see guys like Luka Doncic, DeAndre Ayton, Trey Young sign those kind of extensions. The year after that, we'll see guys like Zion, John Morant sign those extensions. And that's going to eat a lot of cap space really fast. And especially since these guys are going to sign what's called rookie designated extensions, there's going to be a lot less mobility in the league. Why is this the case? Because according to the NBA CBA, a team can only have two guys on a rookie designated extension. And you can only acquire one of these guys through a trade. If you remember a couple of years ago, the Celtics were constantly in the discussions for an Anthony Davis trade, but the reason they couldn't do it during the season was because they had already traded for Kyrie Irving. So what I believe we're going to see in the future is that there's going to be a lot less superstar trades and things like that because a lot of these guys are on these rookie designated deals and a team may already have two guys on that kind of extension. So it's not even an option for them to trade for this young star. For example, take a team like the Dallas Mavericks. This summer, they're probably going to sign Luka Doncic to that rookie designated extension. And they would be idiots to not do. It's practically guaranteed. They already have Kristaps Porzingis on the same kind of deal. And they traded for Kristaps Porzingis. Because of that rule, they now can't trade for another young player. Say they wanted a guy like Jason Tatum. And they had the money or the cap space or the picks to make that trade work. Well, the NBA just wouldn't allow it. It would be against the NBA CBA. So we'll be seeing a lot less mobility in the future. Whether or not this is a good thing or a bad thing, that depends on you. But I think it'll be interesting that there's such an abundance of quality and high caliber players in the NBA, and that teams are building specifically around these guys. And in summary, the great thing about this trend is that we're guaranteed good basketball today and we're guaranteed good basketball for years to come. Thank you to everyone for listening. Thank you to All Things Considered for presenting this podcast. Thank you to Kyle Hunter for art, Noah Thompson for sound, and thank you to you most of all, the listener, for taking the time out of your day to listen to this podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. And until next time, this has been Drawing It Up.